Hey there, future friends. Welcome back. It is a new episode, but not a new week, right? This is exciting. Uh, I've decided to do another episode. Originally, it was just going to be dedicated to the Ghostbusters trailer because I I decided to cut my review or talk of the trailer out of episode 211 because it would have made the episode like almost an hour and a half long. Okay, that's a little dramatic. Maybe an hour 20. But I decided to cut it to do its own episode, and then my wife and I went to go see The Green Knight. So then I thought I would do a review of that too, because it's been a long time since I've done a full review. So let's jump right into it after the intro music. My friends, let's start with the Green Knight review, because I'm more excited for the Ghostbusters trailer than I was about the Green Knight. And I could leave it at that, going, hey, I liked a trailer more than I liked an entire movie, but it's a little more nuanced than that. So if you missed the episode of the show where I talked about this, where this was my pick of the week because I was super excited, let me tell you that the Green Knight is a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. So when I was, uh, here's the thing about the pronunciation of that. When I was doing the first episode where I talked about this, I was saying Gawain, because that's what it looks like to me. But I guess there's two ways to pronounce it. Gawain is right, but Gawain is another pronunciation. Because remember, Arthurian legends are Welsh, and nothing in Welsh is pronounced like it sounds. And if you watch the movie, it sounds like everyone's saying Garwin. But I will not put R's where they're not necessary, so I'll just say Gawain for now. Uh, Gawain is played by Dev Patel. You would know him from Slumdog Millionaire, Hotel Mumbai, uh, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Alicia Vikander and Joel Edgerton are in it as well, as well as Sarita Chowdhury and others. Let me see. Let me pull this up. I know I'm missing some. Sean Harris is in it. Ralph Innocent is in it as well. Barry Keohan, who I, I like a lot. Uh, I think he's uh, really promising. So on the surface, this had everything going for it. It had a good cast. It was about an Arthurian legend. Though I noticed in the movie, they never actually say King Arthur. They never actually say Excalibur. They never actually say any of the other names. They just call him the King. Uh, there's a part in the movie... And by the way, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention this. This will be a spoiler-filled review of The Green Knight, but I will try to let you know before I give a spoiler. But if you really, really don't want anything spoiled, uh, just skip ahead uh, to when I start talking about Ghostbusters. But early on in the movie, you actually see it in the trailer, uh, Gawain holds King the king's sword. And he even, he even talks about it to someone else going, yeah, I held the sword hinting that it was Excalibur he was holding. Like, the, the, whoever holds this sword is the king. But they never actually say it. If you remember last episode, I mentioned that during COVID, during lockdown, uh, the director, David Lowry, 
had time to add more visual effects. He had time to edit the movie more. And I, I would not have been able to tell. I swear to you, I would not have been able to tell he had more time to edit if I never read that story. Because there are so many pointless scenes in the film. Like, did I really need such a long shot looking up into the trees as they blew in the wind? Did I need that? No. Do we need so much of him just traveling? There's so many pointless scenes that added nothing to the movie. You could argue, you could argue that it was to set ambiance or help set the tone, but this movie could have done without it. So this film comes in at two hours and 10 minutes and it could have been a lot shorter and just as good. And there are even parts that didn't make sense. So we have Gawain who is hanging out in King Arthur's court and this dude shows up. We know, and this is a minor spoiler, we know that his mother is some sort of witch and she did some ritual to summon this guy. So he shows up and goes, hey, King, I'm going to fight one of your people. You're going to send one of your people to fight me right now. Uh, your, if your person manages to land a blow, uh, your man wins. And then a year from now, your man will come and meet me in my hood. And a year from now, your man will come and meet me at my place. He will bend the knee in front of me and I will strike him in the same way he did me, be it a tiny nick or a fatal blow. And then he'll, something will happen to him. Yeah, like he'll like he'll get rich or something. I forgot exactly what he said, but Gawain steps up because he's like, yeah, I'll do this because he's really like the least impressive of the knights. He's just King Arthur's cousin. He hasn't done anything. He spends a lot of his time drinking and in brothels with one uh, one woman in particular played by Alicia Vikander. And he steps up and he notices that the knight, the green knight, doesn't even try to fight him, doesn't do anything to fight him. And so he gets angry, he's getting angrier and angrier. And then the knight puts down his weapon and shows his neck to Sir Gawain. And so he, he goes, you know what? Fuck you. Slices the guy's head off. And he's like, yeah, what's up? I, I did that. And then the knight stands up and goes, very well. I'll see you in a year, bitch. And he takes off. And so Gawain has that year to realize that he has to go and meet this guy and the guy's going to chop his head off. And that year passes really quick. We have like two or three scenes of a puppet show showing the year progressing and it was not needed. That was not needed at all. Maybe just a little bit of it, but it felt, it felt very pedantic. Like why, why do we need so many of these extra scenes? It made me feel like the director didn't know what he was doing and was purposefully filling time. And uh, I've been, shitting on this for a little bit now. Let me say something good. The acting was good. Dev Patel is great. Alicia Vikander, great. Joel Edgerton, all of the all of the actors in this were great. The acting was good. The acting was the selling point for this film. If you do check this film out, you check it out to see the skill of the actors on the screen. The acting was good and it looked beautiful. Where this movie lacked was needless excess when it comes to a lot of these ambiance setting scenes and the story was also a little confusing and i don't know if that was the fact that they stayed true to the original tale because i've never read this tale the uh, tale of sir gawain and the uh, gawain and the green knight never heard, read it even though I, I plan on reading it this year so i don't know if the fact the story was confusing because this is based off an old ass story 
or if it was just poor storytelling from the director. Because as Gawain uh, goes from the kingdom to this place where he's supposed to meet the Green Knight, he has different challenges he faces. And some of them, I think, are just pointless. Because at one point, he gets robbed and all of his shit gets taken. At another point, he finds himself in an empty house. And then this woman shows up and goes, hey, why are you in my bed? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm in your bed. I didn't know. And she's like, hey, can you help me? My head is in this lake or in this pond or whatever. Can you get my head for me? So he goes and gets the head and then goes back and the person's gone. He goes back into the house and sees a skeleton in the bed that he was just sleeping in that obviously wasn't there when he was sleeping because he would have been literally on it. And he puts the head there and goes, okay, I did this for you. And then the missing axe, because uh, the knight leaves his axe behind for Gawain to take on this journey. And my axe, says the green knight. No, uh, there's the axe that was stolen by the thieves is now back, so he takes it with him. And then he comes across this castle where he meets the Lord and the Lady, played by Joel Edgerton and Alicia Vikander in her second role. So she's this this uh, lady who lives in this house, married to Joel Edgerton, obviously not the same person because her hair looks different. Uh, as a prostitute, her hair is very short. As the lady, her hair is very long and luxurious and she looks cleaner. But there's obviously something between Deb Patel and the Lady and it gets weird. We have Joel Edgerton. Somehow he knows. Because at this point, by the time the end of the, the year comes, Gawain is pretty famous. People know about this tale. People know that he's on his way. But then Edgerton goes, hey, here's the thing. You hang out here. You hang out here in, in my castle for a bit. The the Your goal is just up the stream a bit. You hang out here. I'll do some hunting. You, you do your thing here. And then you go. And every day while he uh, while the Lord goes out and hunts, the lady hits on him. And eventually she gives him some sloppy hand job in his bed because he didn't come to sleep with her. So she's like, what's up? You didn't come to sleep with me. And he's like, well, you're married and your husband is giving me uh, food and a room to sleep in. And she's like, oh, you don't want to. And then she jerks him off. And then this belt that his mother made him that got stolen from by the thieves she has, and she goes, oh, by the way, here's this belt. And then he gets literally jizzes all over the belt and gets it on his clothes and everything. And it was just a little gratuitous for me. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know my stance on sex and nudity in movies. As a kid, I loved it. Yeah, let me see that shit. But as an adult, I don't think it's necessary. There are so few times in a movie where there was nudity or a sex scene. I'm like, yeah, that was actually needed. This helped the movie. And she could have easily just jerked him off and we didn't need to see the spunk all over the, the goddamn belt. And I guess, I guess the fact that he ejaculates on the belt could be a, I, I could, it could represent the eventual fate of the belt, but it's a, that's a stretch. That is a stretch. It's just a really weird scene, a really weird part of the movie that just killed it just obliterated the pacing because the pacing was never fast. Uh, if you've ever watched an A24 movie before, you would never say that the pacing was fast, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Slow pacing can be really good for storytelling and stories in general don't need to be speedy, but we had a pace going and then this scene happened and it killed it. So Gawain leaves and the Lord sees him because the Lord is out hunting. He's like, hey, why, why are you leaving? It's like, oh, did you learn anything? Did you, um, did, is there anything you want to give me? 
And then the Lord kisses him, which I admit would be a much better love story than Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander. Forbidden love in the middle of the woods kind of thing. But that also had no point. Like, why? The only reason I could see that being put in the put in the story, if it wasn't in the original story, remember, I haven't read that, is for some sort of forced representation. And I, I don't get that. I've been forgetting the fox friend. Uh, Gowan has this fox friend that, that leads him and helps him out sometimes. And it looks like the Lord was about to kill the fox or something, but then lets the fox go when, uh, when Gowan is on his way out. Here's the only thing I can think of. Here's the only thing. Did any of you watch Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief? And you know when the three main characters are traveling, they find this uh, they find this casino in Vegas. And they're allowed in for some reason, even though they're kids. And then they realize that it's a trap. They realize they have been trapped and it was to waste their time. That's the only reason I can think that this whole part was in the film or in the original story, was that it's a test. Like, how long will he stay here? How long will he waste his time? But if that was a purpose, it didn't work and it didn't come across. So now Gawain heads further up and actually gets to the place where the knight's waiting for him. And he's just chilling. He just waits for the knight to wake up. The knight wakes up and goes, hey, here's the thing. I'm going to do it. Are you here to kneel before me? Uh, Where did you cut me again? Oh, the neck. Yeah, you beheaded me. Uh, kneel down and show your neck to me. And so he does. And Deb Patel keeps chickening out. And eventually he runs away. He runs. He's like, no, f- this. I'm going to get out of here. And he runs back home. And then we see what his life looks like after that. Uh, he bangs Alicia Vikander again. Uh, she ha- He becomes king when Arthur dies. And then Vikander's character has the baby. And he takes the baby and just throws money at her. Because she's a prostitute, not worth anything. She can't be a lady. She can't be my queen. And basically you see him be this horrible human being. He's a terrible person. People hate him. Um, he, he's just awful. And then so he dies. And then you, then you think, oh, is that the end? But then he comes back too. And it's all been a hallucination. And he's still with the Green Knight. And so the Green Knight's about to chop his head off. And he's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. And he takes off this belt because the belt was supposed to protect him. His mom made the belt for him. And as long as he wore it, he would never, he, he could not be struck down. So he takes the belt off. He goes, okay, now you can do it. And then the knight kneels down and says, okay, good job. You passed. And the movie ends. It just f-ing ends. You don't see him go back. You don't see what eventually happens between him and uh, Alicia Vikander's prostitute version. You don't see if he ever goes back to the castle. You don't see any of that. It just ends right there. And I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to show that by leaving, he by leaving and not letting the knight do his thing, he went down the wrong path. And now that he made the right choice, his life is going to be better. He's not going to make the same mistakes. And we can assume that he's going to be a better person. And then that was the test. That's why his mom gave him that belt. Because that was part of the test. So his mom probably did this whole thing to make him into the person he was supposed to be. But we never see that. We never get the satisfaction of seeing him become that. We're just supposed to know that he is not that horrible person we saw in the what could have been part of the movie. And we're supposed to be okay with that. This movie was so close to being really good. It was so close. It was beautiful. It looked beautiful. I loved it. I loved how it looked. The acting was great. A Dev Patel needs an Oscar. He needs to have an Oscar because he is worth it. Alicia Vikander is great. 
I think Joel Edgerton is criminally slept on. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the visual pleasingness of the movie and the cast. That was great. All the other problems came from the terrible pacing and some of the weird cinematography choices. Because even though some of these weird scenes looked beautiful, I didn't need it. I live in the middle of the woods. I don't need to see trees that much. And yes, that was, that was a joke. But there were so many scenes that could have been cut and made the movie flow a little better. There were so many things that could have been done differently to make the movie flow better that I think there are too many missed opportunities to give this film a high rating. I predicted before I saw the film that I would love it so much I'd want to buy it as soon as it came out. And now that's a no. Uh, I will buy it if I ever see it for sale, like really cheap, like really cheap. But other than this, this is a swing and a miss. If you are a big fan of artsy indie movies, then this could be for you. But I think, and I'm a fan of those movies too, but I'm also a fan of big budget blockbusters. You know me. I love all movies. But I think it could have been a more fluid and cohesive story. And I think that's where this fell short. The Green Knight gets a 6.5 out of 11. Well, my future friends, um, I'm always very torn on how to treat ads on these smaller episodes because when the episodes are shorter, I don't want a big chunk of it to be ads for other shows, but they are my friends. Like I do consider, legitimate consider each and every one of them a friend of mine. Hell, the only one I haven't even met in person is Robbie, and uh, I hope to meet him one day, hopefully even soon. So I'm sorry to have a big bunch of ads, so uh, let me just put the ads right here. And then we'll be right back with the Ghostbusters Afterlife Talk. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever interneting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that f***ing jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at wympodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, we're back. So let's break down this Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. Uh, I'm going to go through it, not 
every scene by scene, but I'm going to break it down and then tell you my theories. But let's start with the official premise. This is about a single mother and her two kids who arrive in a small town, and they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. This stars, in IMDb order, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Carrie Coon, Sigourney Weaver, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, and the wonderfully handsome and always enjoyable Paul Rudd. This trailer that released a couple weeks ago starts out by letting us know right away that this does not take place in New York. It takes place in what I assume is Somerville. We just see Summer and V. I just assume it's called Somerville. We see the water tower and then we see a scene of the family driving around. McKenna Grace, Finn Wolfhard in the back, Carrie Coon, the mom in the front. In case you weren't certain this takes place in modern times, we do have Finn Wolfhard on his phone recording everything. Uh, then we see uh, the scene shifts to a burger restaurant called Spinners, uh, Burgers and Shakes, it says. Then we see Finn Wolfhard coming out. We learn that his name is Trevor because we hear the mom talking to someone. And then we learn that McKenna Grace's name is Phoebe. Uh, we see Trevor looks like a regular teen. Phoebe seems to be at home working on some science stuff. She has glasses, has this classic nerdy look about her. Looks like she's working with a soldering iron. And then we see that the mom has been talking to Paul Rudd. Uh, they're in a Chinese restaurant, I assume, by the uh, what looks like a beckoning cat on the table and the dragon on the side. We then see that uh, McKenna Grace or Phoebe, was it? Yeah, Phoebe is getting picked on in school. And then we get a look at their old farmhouse that they're living in. It does look kind of creepy. It looks like Texas Chainsaw Massacre could take place there. It looks like uh, an exorcist movie could take place there. And then we see McKenna Grace on the floor working out some sort of puzzle. And then the voiceover says that the mother hoped that this move would be a fresh start. And she just hopes that they can get into some trouble. Little does she know. Because then what's in the floor? McKenna Grace pulls out a ghost trap. Then we see the scene that we saw in the first trailer of a bunch of kids in the back of what looks like a ranchero or something. You know, one of those sedan looking cars with the with the truck bed back driving down a road and going to hang out at an old mine shaft. Because what's safer than that, kids? Let's hang out at an old mine shaft. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And then this young girl is talking to Finn Wolfhard saying, oh, what are you even doing in this town? Oh, and it is Somerville. She does say Somerville. And then we learn that the family's broke and then they had to move and that this creepy old farmhouse was left to them by their grandpa. And then this is the first hint that we see at the Ghostbusters because the scene changes to a shot inside the house of a picture of the Ghostbusters standing outside of their headquarters. Firehouse Hook and Ladder Company 8, which is where Ghostbusters, uh, the, the headquarters, was filmed. And we see them all standing in front of it. And all of them, too. Even Ernie Hudson is there. We see Egon. We see Ray. We see Peter. We see Winston. And we see our first original cast member. We hear someone talking, saying, and she says, your father wasn't much of a homemaker. And then we see it's Janine. Janine looking older with her hair, but her signature glasses. And she says that he wasn't much of a homemaker. He could barely keep the power on. And then we see the lights flickering, which in a movie with ghosts, it's always a terrible sign. And the mother goes, hey, did, are you saying that he didn't leave us anything? And Janine says, well, I wouldn't say he left you nothing. Then we see Finn Wolfhard in a barn finding a car under a cover. And it's the Ecto-1. And then we see him repairing it. McKenna Grace goes, hey, you're working on the station wagon? And he says, well, it's the only one with an engine. 
And then you see them taking a joyride through a field. You see the Ecto-1 all ready to go again. Looks dirty, looks rusty, but it's moving. And then we see from director Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's kid is directing this. Ivan Reitman, producer is what, uh, on this. And then we get a scene of, uh, it looks like a storm brewing over the town and then an earthquake. And then Paul Rudd speaks. And then he says, somehow a town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Then we go back to that scene with the kids at the mine shaft. Still a terrible place to hang out. And we see some sort of light coming up from the bottom. And then we see something shoot out of it. A big light. I wonder what that light could possibly be. And then in an answer to Paul Rudd's character, we have Phoebe saying, maybe it's the apocalypse. Then we find out it's coming out around Thanksgiving. And then we hear Phoebe say, Egon came out here for a reason. And then she's watching the old commercial from the first movie with, are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? And then we have the commercial keeps going in the background and then weird things happening, like a bunch of mist coming through an open door. Uh, the, someone is sitting at a desk and the light moves on its own. Paul Rudd watching the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men. And then we see the kids with what looks like them going to the bottom of this mine shaft. Another great idea, kids. <laughs> Go to the bottom of an old mine shaft. Please don't. Please don't take me seriously at all. And it looks like some sort of Egyptian tomb or something. And then we see clouds and a storm coming over a mountain. And then it goes back to inside that tomb looking thing. And then we hear the growl of a demon dog. And then we see this pool of what looks like energy and Phoebe looking into it. And then all these spirits fly out of it. And then we see the town getting attacked. And then we see what looks like the ghost of a demon dog coming out of a trap. And then Paul Rudd running out of a Walmart being chased by one of the demon dogs, either Vince Clortho or Zool. And then we hear that Ecto-1 siren as the kids are driving around. McKenna Grace pops out in the, in the gunner's seat with a proton pack. And then this little remote control car pops out of the Ecto-1 and McKenna Grace is firing the proton pack at this ghost and the little car thing is chasing after it. And you can tell that it's a ghost trap with wheels and then we see the title screen ghostbusters afterlife and then we see a, a scene with paul rudd mckenna grace and this other kid watching the end of that commercial from the first one saying ghostbusters we're ready to believe you and the phone number popping on the screen and then a phone rings you see a red phone you see this guy that just the hands of someone standing at a desk you see a sign in the background saying occult books and a voice just says we're closed and yes, that is Ray's occult books from Ghostbusters to the business he started after the Ghostbusters were dissolved after the end of the first movie. And oh my God, we have so much to unpack. So I'm going to tell you what my theory is for the coming plot. So a lot of this plot is very easy. We have the kids going out to this, uh, the, kid and, the kids and their mom moving to this old farmhouse that was owned by their grandpa, who was Egon Spangler. We know that he kept a lot of the stuff. We know that uh, from the first trailer, that proton packs and some of the suits and the traps and everything were not really hidden that well. Uh, it's not that he tried to hide them. Uh, they are out in the open in the basement, I think. Uh, some of it out in the barn. But the, the question is then, why was that one ghost trap locked away why keep everything else out and ready to go but that one ghost trap 
locked behind a puzzle. Well, we can figure that out by watching the trailer. We can figure that out by the scene that looks like Paul Rudd being knocked down by a ghost dog coming out of a trap. Egon trapped one of the demon dogs, either Vince Clortho or Zul. We don't know which one. Because here's what we can assume and what I'm assuming from this trailer. Why did Egon move from the big city, from New York City, to this podunk little town in the middle of nowhere? Why did he do that? He moved there to protect us. He moved out there to protect the world from the second coming of Gozer. And he managed to trap one of the demon dogs, either on his own or with the help of the Ghostbusters. We don't know if uh, who it was. We'll hopefully we'll find out. But they trapped one of them because if both of the demon dogs, if Vince Clortho and Zool can't get together after possessing humans, then Gozer can't come. Gozer is stuck in another plane of existence. And at the bottom of the mineshaft, we see what looks like a temple or something. And we know from the first movie that Gozer was worshipped as a god by the Hittites, the Mesopotamians, and the Sumerians. And that's around 600 or 6,000 BC. And that there's a cult of Gozer that worships them. I do say them because Gozer is officially genderless, being able to change form at will. And Gozer's two minions, the demon dogs, who are demigods, Vince Clortho, the Keymaster, and Zool, the Gatekeeper. Fun fact that I learned from the Ghostbusters wiki. Uh, apparently, at one point, the design of Gozer was David Byrne from the Talking Heads, and that's pretty dope. But anyway, we know that Gozer was worshipped by these ancient, ancient tribes. So we can assume that this Gozer cult built a shrine in the old style. So that's what that's so that's what this old temple looking thing is doing underground in the middle of Podunk Nowhere. So we can guess that Egon found out about this cult, moved here to stop them, and then stayed there to make sure nothing happened. But eventually Egon died. This family moves over there finds it. And I'm guessing the kids don't know what's in that trap. Maybe he didn't leave any notes or maybe they just accidentally let him out. And now both demon dogs are free again. With both demon dogs free, they can chase people down and possess them. Just like that scene in the trailer where we see one of the dogs chasing Paul Rudd. My prediction is that if Gozer is going to come back, it's going to be Paul Rudd and their the kid's mom who's going to be possessed not Dana Barrett and Lewis Tully, and that the kids, with the help of the living Ghostbusters, will have to save the day. If you look on the IMDb page for Ghostbusters Afterlife, you could see that Ernie Hudson's character is listed as Dr. Winston Zedmore, meaning that Winston went back to school to get a doctorate. Because we know from the first movie, he wasn't a doctor. He was just in it for a paycheck. And famously, Ernie Hudson has been against that. Or not really against it. He just wishes that there was more to his character than just someone who wants uh, who wants a job. And we know that Ernie Hudson's character, Winston, was originally a bigger part of the movie, but a lot of his lines were given to Bill Murray, and a lot of his story was left on the cutting room floor. So hopefully he'll get a little more in this movie as a sorry for all that. But let's be honest, there is something that we haven't mentioned yet. There's something that not a lot of people are talking about. It's because it's a sore subject. It's how 2016's Ghostbusters 
can work into this because we know that Ivan and Jason Reitman did kind of like the movie. They liked the women. They liked the characters. They had other problems with it, but they liked Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones. They liked them. That they have this big goal eventually of having more Ghostbusters movies that get, that get all tied together because that was originally Ivan Reitman's uh, big goal was to have Ghostbusters from other countries featuring ghosts and legends from other countries and them all meeting. Because if you remember at the end of 2016's Ghostbusters Answer the Call, we see a teaser or a not a teaser. We have a mid credit scene of a bunch of them doing research and Leslie Jones listening to a recording and pauses and goes, hey, does anyone recognize the name Zool? And if you remember, the first hint we really get of Gozer the Gozerian in the first movie is when Dana Barrett opens up her refrigerator and sees the demon dog and it says Zool. She eventually gets possessed and becomes Zool. So if Ivan and Jason Reitman really do want to bring the female Ghostbusters back, all they would have to do is tweak a, a little bit of the story, you know, in the new movie, because it'd be so easy to do. Because technically, even though we don't know the canonic status of the 2016 movie, technically that movie led to this one with the return of Zool, Vince Clortho, and possibly Gozer. And we also noticed something during this trailer about the style when all of the spirits were coming out of that mine shaft and going through the town, it has the same look as when Walter Peck shut down the contain the power to the containment unit in the first movie. The containment unit exploded and all of the ghosts got loose. I liked 2016's Ghostbusters. You know I do. If you've li if you've listened to the show before, you know that it is one of the things that the somewhat nerdy crew and I just don't agree on. I liked it. It's obviously the lesser of the Ghostbusters media, you know, taking the two movies, uh, the comic books, the cartoon, everything into account is obviously the lesser one, but it was fun. We have to remember this was done by Paul Feig, who has a very unique style. But now we have uh, Jason Reitman at the helm, the son of the creator at the helm, who wants to do right by it. But we still have to face a hard truth. This could be it. This could be the last we see of it. They could very easily make this third, quote unquote, Ghostbusters film, the last one and put it to rest. Or it could be the start of so much more. We have to be prepared that this is going to be the end that Egon's grandkids, with the help of the original Ghostbusters, finally put an end to Gozer. Or we could go into theaters on November 11th, 2021. And watch a new group be born. I can't wait. I am so excited for this film. I got emotional watching that trailer, especially at the end when you see Ray pick up the phone, uh, especially when we see Janine talking about Egon. This movie is a long time coming, a long time coming. And I think we're going to get it right. Because even though, I said many times I liked 2016's Ghostbusters. It wasn't great. It had problems. I liked it because it's a fun film. I liked it because it's more Ghostbusters. But I think this movie will get it right. 
when I first heard about the premise, I was originally a little hesitant. I never mentioned it on the show, I don't think. But I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh, it's, it's some family drama now? But I think this is the best way to do it. And I cannot wait. Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to be amazing. And I swear to God, if we go back in lockdown because of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and I don't get to watch this in the theaters or if it gets pushed back again, I am going to be livid. Because if you're an anti-masker or an anti-vaxxer, I need you to pull your head out of your ass and not ruin this for me. And, you know, help save lives. But I'm very scared that this is going to get pushed back again because of all the idiots out there. Well, my future friends, that was it for this episode. A look at Ghostbusters Afterlife, the new trailer, and a talk about the Green Knight. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, next week, we'll be back to our regular episodes, uh, just one a week, and talking about all the new movies. So let me send you along your way with the closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast. Share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>